like, I'd like to continue uh, in the letter to the Ephesians. We're nearing the end. We're at chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. With, starting with verse 1. The letter of Apostle Paul to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of your heart as unto Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And ye masters, do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect of persons with him. I read to, the, uh, to verse 9 of chapter 6, may God bless the reading of his word. Let us bow before the Lord in prayer. O Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, as we have already prayed this morning from the Lord's Prayer. And we do pray that your kingdom will come and your will be done on earth and also especially within our congregation as it is in heaven. Father in heaven, as we sing in a song, what a mighty God we serve the creator of all that we see and don't see, and most of it we don't see. And we come to thee, the one that has made all things and knoweth all things, that knowest thou frame and knows that we are but dust. But we are yet fearfully and wonderfully made. Humans cannot comprehend the intricacy of the design of the human body. We come before thee, before whom we are naked, before whom we must give account for what we do. Father in heaven, we come before your holy word. We pray that this morning we would tremble at your word. For in it it says that he that trembles at your word and is of a contrite and broken spirit to this man you will look upon and accept. Father, we pray that we would see that indeed it has truth that this world does not. When this world is full of confusion and chaos, we can find 
an anchor in the solid rock of your word. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And light came into this world and the darkness didn't comprehend it. Lord, we pray that your word will be that which shakes us up and wakes us up to the truth and what we need to do in response. Father in heaven, we pray that as the word goes forth, that you'd be with our dear brother as you would expound it. As we have traversed through five chapters of the book of Ephesians, which was divinely inspired by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you'll be able to reveal to us the truths that are there or relearn the truths that are there that we already have known, many of us. And that not only would he be able to do so, but that we would open our hearts to receive it. That it may be received in meekness, mingled with faith, that it may be received in surrender, believing, accepting, yes, it is the truth and I need to accept it and put it into practice. Father in heaven, as we have already heard this morning, we pray for those that are not here, that you would be with them, that you would visit them through closed doors as Jesus came in through closed doors to the disciples and revealed to them the truth of his promises that he would rise again. And all the doubting Thomases would kneel before him and say, my Lord and my God. Father in heaven, we pray for the many that are sick, we pray for them every Wednesday and every day. Many of us pray every day for each and every one. We pray that you would hear our humble cry and that you would answer these prayers according to your will and that we would receive and accept whatever answer you give us but we come unto thee as children to a father who petition their father for good things and not bad. Father, we pray that you would, as your word commands us, that we would pray for the governments and though the powers that are ordained by thee, it doesn't mean that they are righteous. It doesn't mean that they are all believers, but we pray for them that your will may be done and that we would follow the laws of the land that will not contradict your word and your will. That we may be seen as a light in this world and show to the world that we trust you and we trust your word and we want to reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray in his name because we pray for who he is to you, your son, 
seated at your right hand, interceding for us. And because of what he has done for us, we pray in his name. That you would incline your ear unto him as our high priest and saviour. Father in heaven, we pray for the aged, the isolated, the widows, the fatherless, the motherless. We have them in, in our midst as well. And we pray that you would visit them and comfort them, that you would remind them that you are their father or can be their father, eternal father, that they can make known unto you all their petitions that they could pour out their hearts and be vulnerable to you and seek your guidance and your strength, your mercy and your grace. Be with us, Lord. Comfort us, strengthen us as we want to serve you and give you all the praise and glory. For we ask all of these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Just having read these nine verses, we might want to, might be tempted to consider this passage in isolation just to Read these as a set of instructions for children and parents or servants and masters, or the modern equivalent would be employees and employers. But before we do that, and I think that there are very specific instructions here that, that we, with the Lord's help, would do well to, to consider, I'd like just to turn back to the beginning of the, the letter, to the first chapter, and read just a, a few verses from the prayer that Apostle Paul prays for these Ephesian believers and by extension he's praying for us. And then that, hopefully that will help us to see these simple instructions in context of what God is really his purpose is. <clears throat> verse 17 of chapter one. Or let's go back to verse 15 here. Just read, and read maybe three or four verses here. Chapter 16, I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and so on, so forth. And he goes on to describe Christ. A couple of things stood out to, to, to me as I reread that passage. The knowledge, the knowledge of God, that he would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, that we'd be able to see the riches that are in Christ Jesus, the glorious inheritance, and then the power, the knowledge and the riches and the power. 
That's Apostle Paul's prayer for us. That's his desire for all believers, all of those that have believed in Christ, that have faith. Now, let's go back to chapter six and consider these instructions and how we can know the Lord Jesus in them, how we can uh, experience the riches of Christ Jesus in them and the power of Christ Jesus in all these relationships of children and parents, of uh, uh, employers and employees. I think one of the greatest tragedies of Christian quote unquote life is if there is a separation between what we think about salvation, about God's plan of salvation, who he is, and uh, the promises he's given us, heaven, all that's awaiting us. We think of that on one hand, and then there's no connection between our family life, our work life, the day-to-day existence, our day-to-day reality. If there's that kind of separation, that is the greatest tragedy, I think, and we've missed the purpose of, of, of Christ's coming, his his sacrifice, it was that we could have life and have it more abundantly, that we could experience that knowledge of Christ, the riches of Christ, the power of Christ in these relationships. And this is really where whatever we may profess to believe, whatever we may think we know about God really comes into into real fruit, into real testing, into, into real, I think the real knowledge, you know, so often I can read a certain passage of scripture and think I understand it and think I know, oh, this is, this is God, this is what he's like, this is who he is. And then I turn around and react a certain way with my kids and I think, oh, how, how big is the gap between my head knowledge, what I think I know, and who I really am in Christ Jesus. That knowledge that, that really conforms me, as he says in Ephesians 4, that, that we all come to the, the perfect man, come to in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And this is God's desire for us. I, I know it's his desire. Um, that's Apostle Paul's desire in, in Ephesians as he's writing it, explaining these glorious truths, the, the promises of the gospel, God's plan, and then as he naturally flows into chapters four, five, six, our relationships, what it really means, how do we raise our children, how do we treat our parents, how do we serve those that are over us, how do we treat our brothers and sisters in Christ. We start with a simple instruction here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Really simple, really straightforward. Kind of tells me too that that I don't necessarily need to give an explanation every time that I tell my kids to do something. It's right when I tell them to do something as a as a parent, and they need to obey it. I don't. That doesn't make me allow me to be capricious, and I'm going to decide what I you know. Today is Tuesday, so you're going to all wear blue. No, but first and foremost, they need to obey me as a parent because it's right, because that's how God has designed life in general from the little baby all the way up till we reach adulthood and, 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 and even past that adulthood as we honor our father and mother. That's how he's designed it. It's right, and we can see it. We can see the promise, too, that goes along with it, how it works out. 
and it's something I need to teach. My kids are not going to just naturally want to obey. It's not going to just be something that they do. Because obedience, as I think you and I know, obedience is real, is tested, is true obedience when we do the thing that we don't want to do. When I really want to do something else, but I need to listen to mom and dad, and, and not just because I may get some punishment, or, but because I know that it's right, because I know that's what they want me to do. That's the way it is with us and God too, isn't it? When we know that this is really what he wants me to do, and I'm gonna do it, even though I don't want to. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's something that needs to be taught. And there's instructions for, 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 for parents as we're gonna to read too. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Here Paul's quoting from the Ten Commandments, as you're familiar with. Exodus 20. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. And when I read this with slightly different wording, the earth, the land, it causes me to think about this promise is not just, um, it is, it's highly personal, it's a very personal promise, it's multi-generational. When I think of the Israelites, when did they lose the land? When were they removed from Babel, uh, away to Babylon and to different places, as they forgot, as they disobeyed, as generation went by generation and they strayed further, there arose a generation that knew not the Lord, as they turned to that idol worship and they neglected. And I'm sure that pattern started right from a young age. Don't blame the little kids, it's the parents that didn't, didn't uh, instill those values that maybe they had learned. And they, they were not obeying and honoring their parents in the way they didn't transmit those values. And it was multi-generational and they were removed from the land. But it, in the New Testament here, it's, a, it's not the same thing. We don't have a physical land. We haven't been given that. We've been given a personal promise. And I, I think it's true. We see that those that, that um, value what is good and right from their parents that have been given that, value that and honor it, they are blessed. They're blessed in a way that other people are not. And, and Christ's sacrifice, his grace is sufficient. He can cover all sin. He can heal. He can, he can restore. But there is a special blessing for those that, that have been brought up in, in godly ways and, and honor that. And we see that. We acknowledge that. It's here in, in the word. That, that, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And that's, I don't necessarily want, for my kids, that they have a long life. Uh, um, I do want that. <laughs> that. That they have a really prosperous, easy life. But I, I want it to go well with them, in the sense of knowing the Lord, walking with him. That's every parent that loves the Lord. That's their heart's desire for their, their child. And that's what they want to instill from an early age. And I pray, I pray. Pray for all of us, for myself, that we would be able to do that. We'd be equipped to, to do that, to, to give that to our children. In the end, knowing 
that our children are not blank slates. They are each individuals, unique individuals created by God in his image with choice. It's not simply a matter of a blank slate that we impress certain commandments, precepts on, we're gonna program the kid this way and he's gonna behave that way. No, they are all unique individuals and people and they will make their choices and their decisions. But while we have them, while we're young, we need to, from what the Lord has given us, instill those values as best we can that it may be well with them. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. A couple things stand out here to me. He singles out fathers for some reason, ye fathers. I think maybe it points to one thing is that previous chapter is that the husband, the man in the family is supposed to lead in this, in this regard, and even in regards of raising admonishing, teaching, instructing the children. He's been given that leading role. It's a united pair, the, the father and the mother, that together that, uh, uh, give a united direction to the children. But it's fathers that need to take that role as the church, as Christ is the head of the church, even so is the husband the head of the wife, back here in, in chapter 5. But then he singles out something interesting. He says, provoke not your children to wrath. Why wrath? Why that particular, couldn't he have said something else? Don't discourage them. Um, don't, uh, you know, some other instruction. But he, he gives that kind of one instruction here as he's kind of summarizing the whole, the, whole, um, uh, the order of creation and, and what God's purpose is for children and, and for, for parents. He says, don't provoke your children to wrath. I have to think about that too and think that what is that wrath? I think often that anger, it's the, the most common emotion when there's rebellion in the heart. There's anger. When we're rebelling against the, the God instituted and, and God ordained authority, there is often anger. And, and I'm not making a comment on, on the protests, the rightness or wrongness of that, but we see that too in all of this. And um, why do fathers need to be especially careful that they, they try not to provoke their children to that anger? I think when I look at God and his example, that makes it abundantly clear. Back here in chapter 4, end of chapter 4, verses 31, 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. This is how he has disarmed our rebellious anger. This is how God has reached out and changed the, the rebellious, angry, hateful heart of man through Christ Jesus. I need to have the same attitude towards my children, to, to, to be looking to, to help them to overcome that rebellious anger through the love of God in Christ. To me, it, it, it speaks of, of a, a parent being constantly aware of the heart of their child. Being, being in tune with what's going on. When we, often when I get a reaction from 
from one of the children and I kind of say, well, where did that come from? Why are they reacting this way? It tells me I'm not in tune. I'm not understanding. I'm not really in sync with what, what is going through their heart and mind at this moment. And I'm not able then to help them to overcome that, to give them the, that grace in their life, that love, that, that correction that will help them overcome a heart of anger, of, 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 of bitterness, of, of, of malice. I think our, our children are so helpless. We see that with the little one here. He doesn't even, his eyes can't even focus. He waves his arms around. He can't, he just bats different things. He's, he's, he's truly helpless. He doesn't even really know who we are yet, but he knows there's warmth, there's food, there's a, a comfort in, in our voice, our voice tone. He is already forming his image of the world even at this age, at that, at that, we wonder kind of what's going through his mind. I think that's, that's what we've been given by God's grace. And it's short, it, it quickly passes, he grows, they, they get in a certain idea, they, they go on. But mom and I have been given that, that little time here and now to impress, to show him who God is, what God means to us, what this world is all about. Why would I put anything else in front of that? Why would I think that something else is important and that I need to pursue something, uh, whatever it is, job, career? Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The other uh, translations say uh, uh, tra or discipline or training or instruction. How about I like this, these words, nurture? You give what is needed an admonition that's also needed too. This is the foundation of so much. I think we all know it. You know, like as we go on in life and as we grow older, sometimes you see with more clarity of the things that went on in your childhood, the, the, maybe the things that you struggled with, like that has to do with that. My heart of this started at that age or, or with this attitude. But what did I read? What did I read at the beginning in, in, in chapter one here about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and what he's given us, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the riches of his glory, the greatness of his power. Even as we look back and see the failures and the flaws in our relationships, our, our parent-child relationships, God is calling us to experience his grace in Christ Jesus in those things, even now. Not to have a heart of regret and think, oh, it's too late. The die is cast. My kids are, or, or my parents are a certain way. I can't honor them. They're, they're, they're not believers or whatever it is. Even in those relationships, the Lord is calling us to experience the, the wisdom, the revelation, and the knowledge of him. I don't know how that looks to you. I don't know how that's going to look in your situation. I do know it's going to involve humility. It's going to involve a, a humbling of yourself, a meekness, a lowliness, a tenderheartedness, and you will experience God's grace. I, I believe it firmly. It, we cannot control other people. We cannot. Um, uh, they are in, created in the image of God. God doesn't do that to them. We cannot make them a certain way, but we can experience 
grace in those relationships, even if it is just between us and the Lord. And the Lord gives us that grace to know that we are being strengthened, we are being comforted by him in this relationship, this failed relationship, whatever it is. That can even be his will and his supply. He gives us the power then to go on. We turn now to uh, servants and masters, chapter 5. I mean, verse 5, sorry. And it's good to remember the, the context. Paul is talking to slaves. He's talking to, to people that um, do not have freedom in the sense that you and I know it. People that are owned by other people. And slavery in Roman times was not a pretty thing. It was the, the economy was run by slavery. Uh, it was essential for so many different things and aspects of the, of the economy, uh, certain skills and knowledge. Manual labor w- was definitely looked down upon and you gotta have a slave for that. Any, any wealthy household had slaves. And it's interesting to think, to, 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 to step back from that and think, Paul's instruction is not to overturn this. It's not for revolution. But the instruction that he gives is something that will undo it, will break the system if it's really followed in, in the best sense. It will break the system of, of the oppression of, of man, of, of the, the holding down of one person or another. Because it's, if you get rid of the existing system uh, um, by earthly means, if you overthrow you know, these whatever, the, the BLM and, and whatever, it just replaces it with something else. The heart of man doesn't change. It just flips off, uh, the, the oppressed become the oppressors. We know the history of that. We know the story of that. That's the history of man. This, what he gives here, is, is, is the recipe for really overturning the evil systems that are in the world. The, the, the toxic relationships is when one of those people serves the Lord completely with gladness, uh, with singleness of heart, as he says here, that is the best opportunity. That's, that's the God-inspired opportunity he has given to change the other person, to, to really make their heart different too. That's our best hope. That's the truth that's been given to us. Not some social program, a series of legislation. It's the poor oppressed slave that becomes a Christian and then decides, not decides, he's transformed into a person that serves the Christ Jesus in whatever he does and he does it with singleness and he honors his master in a way that, that causes his master to, this, this slave is different. There's something about this slave that, he's not like the other ones. I don't have to be constantly over him. I don't have to be constantly pushing down and because uh, the masters, they know which ones are the, the slaves that are productive and which aren't, etc. No, this is someone that's changed. Because it is unto Christ. It's, it's not looking to man. It is seeing the big picture. There is an end to this. Our lives are, are extremely short in the grand scheme of things. And we will all one day receive the reward at the hand of the Lord for what we have done in these bodies knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. The real payday, the real reckoning is coming. And that allows me then to revel 
to glory in these promises, these, the, the, the Ephesians 1, 2, 3, the, 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 the beautiful sweeping promises and, and the glory of the church too, that is the great equalizer, the great leveler, that all are equal in Christ. I can glory and revel in that while still being part of this corrupt, tottering system where we have abusive employers, we have people that, that take advantage of us, that cut corners, and yet I am free. I am truly free. You know, we could be discouraged about the way the world is going. We could really be looking, and things are changing rapidly. I think you and I know that, you know, compared to two, three years ago, just how rapidly and how quickly society changes. And you, I mean, one part of you scratches your head and go, what, what's going on now? What is the government doing now? And, and they seem to be doing it with impunity. And um, you could have all those questions and get discouraged. And yet at the same time, you, you, you realize Christians that love the Lord Jesus have been in far worse situations than I've ever been. And they have flourished. They have been a glory and honor. They have adorned the doctrine of Christ as, as Paul says in Titus through, through their service. I can do that too, by his grace and by his power. Masters, ye masters do the same things unto them, forbearing, threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, neither is there any respect of persons with him. Do the same things, what are the same things? The same service unto Christ. And I think, you know, if you go to the parallel in Colossians 3, he gives a little explanation here. Colossians 4, sorry. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So the employer, the one who's in authority, it's his responsibility to be fair. And not only fair among the employees, I gave everyone the same thing, whatever it is, or treated them all fairly, but fair regarding himself and his employees too, in the sense of, you look at the picture of the CEOs of this world. Another big bonus, multi-million dollar bonus. And well, it's the other CEOs are getting it. It's fair. How fair is it with regards to your employees? The ones that you've just asked to take a pay cut or you've just reduced. Where's the justice and the fairness in that? That's not how a, a master, an earthly master who is a servant of Christ is supposed to treat his employees, those that are under him. knowing that your master also is in heaven. All of these things, you know, this whole passage, as you go through it from verse 1 to verse 9, it's woven in there that what we read in, in chapter 1 uh, about the knowledge of Christ, the riches, the, the, the power, it's all in there. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Fathers, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Servants, do the will of God as servants of Christ. Masters, your master is also in heaven. It's all woven in there, that, that Christian life that we can experience, that we ought to experience, that there should be no division between what we know about what God has done, our salvation in Christ Jesus, and our life as, as children, as parents, as, as employers, as employees. It's all woven in there. We need to experience that. We need to ask, do I really know the power, the riches of Christ?
One day these relationships will all come to an end. We will cease to be children of earthly parents. We will, all the earthly bonds will dissolve. We will no longer be answerable to an earthly employer. One day we will all be in some sense, even as we are now in faith, part of that family of God, seated around his table, experiencing that fellowship with him. And I have to think that our experience, our, our, the promises that are waiting for us there, they're not contingent, but they're, they're um, what we experience now in these earthly relationships will inform that. I can't articulate it very well. I hope you understand where, how I'm getting at that. But our experience and, 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 and joy and glory in the Lord in eternity will in some way, it will be informed by, by how we've lived those earthly relationships here. I, I don't understand how that works. I don't understand. The scripture talks about crowns of rejoicing and, and, and I can't really explain it. But I know here and now I can experience Christ and my experience of him in eternity forever is going to be through and in these relationships, in the suffering of them, in the hard times, in the dying of myself, in the living together after God's ordinance. May each one of us see that. May each one of us... uh, be encouraged to, to know that there is sufficient grace for those relationships, whatever state they are in, that he may help us to honor our parents, those that uh, uh, have a hard time with that, to see who, uh, who they really are in Christ Jesus and how I can honor and love them in Christ Jesus, that I can um, love and care for my children even when they are beyond my my control or out of the house anymore making their own decisions i can still love them reach out to them in love care after their hearts provide that word of encouragement that example that instruction may the lord help us to see that may he give us the grace to to uh, to know how to behave in all of these, uh, these different areas and roles of life. May God add what was lacking in his word. May he, he multiply, may he magnify the areas that each of us knows we need to grow in, into the knowledge, into the riches, into the power of Christ Jesus.